One of the first jobs that I had, one of the first jobs that I had was at Tom Raper RV. I held this job for two summers. And uh, let me see, get this working here, okay. I held this job for two summers and I had no idea it was actually ministry preparation. I had no idea. There he is, Tom Raper RV, Midwest's largest you know, RV dealer, tent caps, 99 and up. I could do the whole spiel, right? My job was, I was part of the beautification crew. We had crews of three unskilled young men <laughs> and we were part of the body shop division. And our job was to take RVs that came in and made them look like Aunt Gertrude only really went out a couple of times, rarely used. So we would have to replace hardware, we would have to paint, and we would have to clean. You know, I had never really cleaned anything in my life until I worked at Tom Raper RV. I did not know that when you left a fridge uh, closed after you turned it off that all kinds of neat, fuzzy mold grows all over. I encountered RVs where their, clearly, their modus operandi was, hey, oven and stove, we're camping, cleaning's for what we do at home. There's no amount of oven off that can get rid of that stuff. So I, I you know, the first few weeks, man, I full, full gloves, the whole nine yards, I would open a fridge and I, you know, it was just, it was disgusting, can I just say? Like I was thoroughly icked out. And on my crew, on my crew, I was with Howard the Duck, ask me later why he had that nickname, and Dave. So Howard the Duck, Dave and I, Howard the Duck and Dave but, uh, smoked and swore, and so I was the odd man out because I didn't swear or smoke. And they were constantly like, what's your problem? Like, <laughs> why don't you do these things? This is normal, you're not normal. What's, you know, oh, you go to a Christian college? What is that? I've never heard of that. Are you sure? Do you need help? And they, they would, every Friday, we're going to get you out. We're going to get you initiated. Come to the bar with us. And I'd be like, no, I'm, I'm pretty sure that my body weight, you know, after 10 minutes, I'm done. <laughs> okay, so, but that was my job. And we had RVs like this that came in all the time. And we had to turn them around and make them look like magic. And, oh, by the way, when you have an RV that sits behind your house for about five years unused, I just wanna say critters and bzz, buzzy things make it their home. I cannot tell you how many water heater tank compartment doors we opened up to, to find nothing, uh, a whole huge hornet's nest. Now Howard the Duck's favorite thing in doing this was, um, don't try this at home, but we would get a lighter and a can of WD-40 and he would just torch them. So my job was to open the door at the right time and he would and you could hear their wings kind of burn up. It was, it was bad, it was really bad. I feel bad now that I participated in that. But you know, at the time, so again, I don't know if you've ever had a job that thoroughly disgusted you, a job that you didn't wanna do. For some of us, that's when we became parents, right? That's when we became parents and we were like, oh, there's that? That's included? What? What? I, we had friends over once when the kids were little. 
Um, and, and I won't, the oldest was a toddler and our friends, their oldest was a toddler. And then we had friends who didn't have kids yet. And, uh, Josh and John Mark, both at the same time, boom, uh, or Caleb and John Mark, both at the same time had number two dirty diapers, right? So my friend Burley is trying to get this, these couple that has never had kids. Hey, you should do this. This would be good practice for you. And it, the evening went downhill from there. So I don't know if you've ever had a job that you didn't want to do, but they're around. There are disgusting jobs. There are unwanted jobs. There are things that it's very easy for you to think and th hope and pray that someone else comes along to do the job. I, I'm married to a swim coach, and I learned this early on. This is, to me, ironic. On a swim team for sp swim practice, one of the first things you have to do is get out the lane ropes. And the lane ropes always have to be swam to the end of the pool. And you would be surprised how many swimmers show up and they're like, oh yeah, I'm not doing that. And I'm thinking, but you're gonna get in the pool and practice in 10 minutes. Yeah, it's too cold. You can't, no, uh-uh. <laughs> like, it's a job, it blows my mind. Which brings me, uh, to the story of the Fantastic Four. If I can put them up there. There we go. Oh my goodness, help me. Woo! Okay, maybe I shouldn't be trusted with this. All right. This is a story about four people named everybody, somebody, anybody, and nobody. There was an important job to be done and everybody was asked to do it. Everybody was sure somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did it. Somebody got angry about that because it was everybody's job. Everybody thought anybody could do it, but nobody realized that everybody wouldn't do it. It ended up that everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could have done. This is a very famous poem. It's, it's gone around a long, long time. It's kind of like last week was uh, Thompson Week at the Beach. Uh, it, it was Thompson Week at the Beach. And so there's one particular job that it seems like just always fell on me because nobody else wanted to do it. And that was the trash. So take out trash. It, if, if, trash did, if, I did, if I missed the trash in time on a particular day or one had gotten full, they would simply start a, a bag next to the can and then another bag and then another bag. It would never, like the idea that you would like empty it and take it down to the place and put it in the Herbie. It was like, you know, some of you are like, I wish my cousin or my spouse or my kids were here to hear this message. This is so important for them. Okay, but it never entered their mind to take it down to the thing. And, and when Charles, one of the guys who's a, a standard at the beach week found out I wasn't going this, this year, he goes, Max, what are we gonna do? I'm like, what do you mean, what are you gonna do? And he goes, you're the rock. And I'm like, what do you mean I'm the rock? He goes, the trash. How's the trash gonna get out? And I... There was a newspaper rolled up and I handed it to him and I go, here, the baton is passed. And do you know what he did? He immediately threw it to someone else, <laughs> right? So clearly, right, there are jobs, there are jobs that you just don't wanna do, that seem hard or that have this aspect to them. And that's exactly where the people in Nehemiah 3 found themselves, a job that seemed overwhelming, a job they didn't wanna finish, and so if you brought a Bible, open it with me to Nehemiah chapter three. That's where we're gonna be today, Nehemiah chapter three. By way of reminder, Nehemiah is a book about a guy named Nehemiah. Nehemiah lived around uh, the time of the start of the Persian Empire. 
and he was an Israelite at a time when there was no more Israel. Israel had been defeated militarily and the Jewish Israeli people had been deported. So their towns had been ransacked and burned and the, the Babylonians that had defeated them militarily had a, had a policy of deportation. So they'd take a swath of people and they'd go, you're not gonna live in Montreal and off you went. And that's how it worked. Um, as Nehemiah was, uh, at the time that he was living and serving the king of the Persian empire, the Persians, they didn't like that policy the Babylonians had, and so they were like, nah, go back home. Just pay us taxes and do what we tell you, and everything's going to be fine, but, you know, get out of our hair. <laughs> so they wanted to resettle people back, and that's where we picked things up. Nehemiah, if you'll remember from the first chapter, Nehemiah had heard about the state of Jerusalem and had heard that the walls were in shambles and that all the gates were still burned. This is a picture of what Jerusalem would have been the size of it with the walls rebuilt at the time of Nehemiah. As you can see, what was a once great city is this teeny tiny little, like Wilmore. <laughs> teeny tiny, like Wilmore. And there's no Chick-fil-A, okay? I'm just, you know, like Wilmore. It's a teeny tiny place. I mean, big temple and then not a lot else. And so the walls were all in rubble, in piles. This section here, when Nehemiah showed up at Jerusalem and was trying to get around, he couldn't get around this area. The rubble was so great and so high, that's where he writes his donkey just couldn't go any further. So he had to go out into the valley and go back up around because there was just so much rubble he couldn't get around. So it was a bad situation. And remember, Nehemiah had been burdened by it. When he heard the report from his brother, there was something about it that grabbed his heart and he couldn't shake it. He couldn't get it out of his mind. He couldn't get it out of his heart. Like he wanted to do something, but he just wasn't sure what and how and when. And of course, the moment comes with the king. He happened to be the cupbearer to the king and an opportunity, a God opportunity presents itself. And he finds himself on his way to Jerusalem to be part of the solution to the problem. And that's where we pick things up in Nehemiah chapter three. Um, this is one of those chapters of the Bible, by the way, that when you read it, if you're doing a Bible reading, you, you, can, you, you can have this happen to you. Because it's a list of names and places and you're like, why is this in the Bible? Nothing amazing is going on here. Could we part the Red Sea or something? Could I get a really bad guy in here? I mean, anything, hello, is this thing on? Right? And so Nehemiah 3 is one of those chapters, but there's more going on there than meets the eye. So Nehemiah chapter 3, and we'll start in the first couple of verses. Then uh, Eliashib, the high priest, and the other priests started to rebuild at the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set up its doors, building the wall as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated in the Tower of Henanel. I know you're like, wow, that's so gripping. I know. Actually, it's not very gripping, is it? But there's no accident that they start here. The sheep gate. Remember, in the Bible, right, the sheep and shepherd is a big metaphor. The shepherd is who in the Bible? God, Jesus, and the sheep. Who are the sheep? We are, people are, okay? The sheep gate is the gate in the northeast corner right next to the temple mount. It's where all the sheep would enter to be sacrificed, which is why it was called the sheep gate. 
they were very you know, particular about how they named things back then. And so there's a practical application playing out here. It's no accident that they start there. And we find that in Exodus 23. You must not have any other gods but me. In other words, God says consistently throughout scripture, me first. God's saying that, God first. And so as they start to rebuild the walls, they start at the place that's gonna enable them to worship before the work really gets underway. And that's something that we see in these couple of verses. Worship before work. It's why Eric Liddell didn't race on a Sunday. Um, but notice who starts the work. Uh, if I can go back, it's uh, Eliashib the high priest. He had a very important job. He was at the top of the priestly pecking order. In fact, he had a really cool, whoops, he had a really cool, uh, look at what the high priest would wear on the big high priest day, which occurred once a year. I mean, this is quite a getup. And yet, he's one of the workers actually repairing and doing things. In other words, if it's not beneath the high priest to do this, then it shouldn't be beneath anyone else. And everybody should be lending a hand to do this thing that is really, really important. I think there's a principle that we could draw out of these couple of verses, and that principle is this. Leaders are best when they're servant leaders. Leaders, leaders are best when they don't believe that there's something that's beneath them. Leaders are best when they're willing to do whatever it takes. Leaders are best when they don't think they're better than anyone else. Leaders are best when they lead by example. There's a lot going on in these couple of verses. I didn't realize just how much Tom Raper RV was preparing me for ministry. I did not want to clean those refrigerators. Do you know how disgusting fuzzy mold is to someone who had never cleaned in his entire life? I mean, those were new life forms. And yet, it was preparation, along with my janitor job, preparation for, oh, as a pastor, I need to be willing to do anything. Do you know here at Generations, one of the ways that plays out is I participate in setup. There are other portable churches where the pastor's like, oh, he needs to bring the word, so he needs to be fresh and everything else, and so that person will stroll in about five minutes to the service, and to, you know, not here. I'm one of the guys that you know, loads the bo boxes in and out. Everything goes back in the box some Sundays because I learned early on at Tom Raper and by being a janitor that leaders should are best when they're servant leaders, right? Um, we find this in, in, in Jesus uh, he says, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life a ransom for many. Jesus showed us in the foot washing that there's no, there was nothing beneath him, so if you're following him, then right, there should be nothing that's beneath you. Well, let's keep going in Nehemiah 3. And I'm gonna stumble through some of these names, even though I practiced. The fish gate was built by the sons of Hashanah. They laid the beam, set up its doors, and installed the bolts and bars. Merimoth, son of Uriah, and grandson of Hakaz, repaired the next section of the wall. Beside him were Meshulam, son of Berkari, and grandson of Meshezebel, and then Zadok, son of Baana. Next were the people from Tekoa, though their leaders refused to work 
with the construction supervisors. The old city gate was repaired by Jehoiada, son of Passia, and Meshulam, son of Besodia. They laid the beams, set up the doors, installed the bolts and bars. Next to them were Melitia from Gideon, Jadon from Maranoth, people from Gibeon, and the people from Mizpah, the headquarters of the governor of the province west of the Euphrates River. Next was Uziel, son of Herhiana, again, goldsmith by trade, who also worked on the wall. Beyond him was Hananiah, a manufacturer of perfumes. They left out a section of Jerusalem as they built the broad wall. And on and on it goes. Names, bolts and bars, the name of the gate. Names, bolts and bars, the name of the gate. Names, bolts and bars. Oh, oh, we're still in church. Okay, so they... A few things here. The people from Tekoa, they didn't lend a hand. Those nobles and people from Tekoa thought that building the wall was beneath them. Building the wall was a project they shouldn't, you know, have to sully themselves with, and they abstained. You know, when it comes to what you're doing, what I'm doing, even when it comes to the kingdom stuff, some people will help, some people won't, and some people will go the extra mile. I'm telling you something that's true in life. Some people will help, some people won't, and some people will go the extra mile. This is true on your sports team. Think of the other parents. Some people will, some people won't, some people will go the extra mile. This is true at project graduation. This is true at your job. Some people will, some people won't, some people will go the extra mile. But the people from Tekoa thought, mm, we're not getting involved, thanks for the invite and everything, we're just going to chillax over here. They did nothing. But interestingly, as you get down to the, to the bottom here, uh, where is it? A goldsmith, a goldsmith and a manufacturer of perfumes. Let me ask you a question. If you were going to build a wall, do you want the workers to be people who are manufacturing eau de toilette? Or do you want some bricklayers and some masons? Isn't it interesting? If you go through this long list, you find a bunch of ordinary people who do not have the right skills to be building a wall, especially a defensive city wall. And yet, there they are, priests, Sons and daughters, fathers, mothers, entire families, and they're all working next to each other. So that's where we pick things, uh, that's where I want to highlight. So here's the, here's the gate, here's just kind of an overview. So here's the entire city, and I've mapped out here, here's all the various people and the sections of the gate they had. I mean, look at all those people. We're all working next to each other, and they're all different trades. Some are Levites, in other words, they're priests who do worship. Some make perfume, there are sellers of goods, and yeah, there's probably a brick mason here or there. And they're all over, working next to each other. Next were the people from Tekoa, we hit that. So goldsmith and manufacturer of perfumes. Ordinary people. Here's the good news for you. You do not need special training to be used by God. You do not have to go to seminary. Oh, hallelujah! 
I'm telling you, you do not have to go to seminary to be used by God. These are ordinary people that are being used by God because they're willing, they're available, and they're gonna do something impossible, and we're gonna, we're gonna look at the conclusion of that next week. But ordinary people. And there's this phrase that comes up over and over again throughout chapter uh, uh, three. Next to them, next to him, next to them, next to. There's this, they're shoulder to shoulder with the next group who are working on the next section. In the New Testament, it's one another's, but it's a similar concept. Next to, there's, uh, Jesus sent the disciples out in pairs. It wasn't, in other words, one's too small a number. And there's this quality of working next to each other, all right? They're responsible for sections. That's another thing that, that I see in this passage. Um, each, if I can go back to my picture, Hananiah, this is his section. They're doing the whole thing, but Hananiah's focused on this little part right here. So there's a lot going on in Nehemiah chapter three. But I love this guy in verse 20. Next to him, let me read this. Next to him was Baruch son of Zabai who zealously repaired an additional section from the angle of the door of the house of Elijah, the high priest. The zeal with glow, burning, this guy had an attitude of, I don't care what the others are doing, I'm giving it my all, I'm giving it my best. With zeal. Let me, let me ask a couple of questions in, in light of what's going on in Nehemiah 3. Do you ever feel like you have an impossible task? Do you ever feel like you have a job that you just don't want to do? like later this afternoon what about when the commitment level of other people are not the same as yours think about these people from Tacoa <laughs> for those of you that serve here at generations is it possible that your section is more important than you realize I know it's easy in a church setting. There's so many uh, similarities I see in Nehemiah 3 and for us as a community of faith. One is this next to each other quality. Another is the fact that uh, a, a lot of people in America, they want to idealize church and they want to say, well, church should be this and it should be that. And I, and I always think to myself, but church is full of people and people are people, right? Right? <laughs> And here, as God is moving in Nehemiah chapter three, and God's doing this amazing thing, some worked, some didn't, and some went the extra mile. And it's still true 3,000, 2,500 years later. But God's gonna do something impossible, and we're gonna see that next week. But your section, your role, if you do the nursery, if you do sound, if you do whatever it is, it's easy for you to think, well, it's just, it's no big deal. I show up for nursery once in a month. It's no big deal. I just run slides on a Sunday. It's no big deal. I just have a small group in youth. It's just this section. If you're a city trying to defend itself, how strong is your wall? It's as strong as the weakest and shortest section. There are some similarities between Nehemiah 3 and a church, more than you might think. 
So here's where the rubber hits the road, and I, and I think I might even have slides. Oh, look, they did, look at them. First and foremost, in light of Nehemiah 3, hey, don't be afraid to get your hands dirty. That's a value that we have here at Generations. It's why we have the Strategic Service Awards on a regular basis, because we want to encourage people to get their hands dirty. But I want to remind you that there's more, than go more going on on any given Sunday in any given moment than you may realize, more than, than is obvious or that meets the eye. Don't be afraid to get your hands dirty. Secondly, don't forget people are people. <laughs> people are people. Some will work, some won't, and some will go the extra mile. Jesus rewards service, and he rewards zealous service. When he was teaching in, in uh, the Sermon on the Mount, there's this section, and he says, if a Roman soldier conscripts you to carry his gear, and they could, they could require anybody. I could come up to Micah here if I were a Roman centurion, and I could go, here's my gear. I don't have a lot, man. I should be waylaid with a lot more than that. I could plunk it down, and he would have to go one Roman mile. And at the end of the mile, he was free and clear. As a soldier, I could not compel him to go a second mile. Jesus is saying to his disciples, that's the requirement Double it. On your own initiative, go a mile farther than what's required. Jesus rewards zealous service. Last thing, if you find yourself with this mantra coming out of your mouth, I'll just do it myself. Or, you know, I work alone. I think of this uh, phrase from Rooster Cogburn who said to the, the, the kid who wanted to go with him, I work alone, kid, right? I work alone isn't exactly biblical. Remember the next to them? <laughs> part? Remember the all together part? In the early days of my ministry, I made this mistake. People would ask me all the time, Max, could I help? How, would you like a hand with da, da, da? And I go, no, 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 I got this. I work alone. And I figured out, well, that's not really biblical. And I don't want to get chewed out by Jesus when I see him. I'd rather have a nice conversation to begin with. So I need to tweak that. And so nowadays, when people ask, Max, could I? And I'll be like, yes, you could do this. Or yes, you could do that. My, you know, my default answer now is yes. Okay? So if you find yourself doing the whole work alone part, you could grow along with me. Here's, here's why this is important. At your school, at your job, at your sports team, at your club, there are far too many critics and complainers. I hate that color. Why didn't they cancel practice? Now they sound better than that. Okay, maybe they don't. <laughs> in fact, in America, we have an entire class of people who do nothing but offer opinion and criticism. Do you know what they're called? Commentators and pundits. You can go on SportsCenter, ESPN, NBC, CNBC, Fox News. You can go everywhere, and it's nothing but people offering opinion and commentating. And can I ask a question? Have any of those commentations, have any of those opinions solved a single problem or fixed anything that's wrong with where we are? No. The world needs more wall builders and fewer complainers and criticizers. So don't be like the nobles of Tekoa who sat on their hands and said, not us, we're not getting involved. You're gonna see next week they missed out on something big. It didn't seem big at the time, but they missed out on something big. So don't be like those guys. 
Get involved in the game. Be a builder, all right? Um, ordinary people, ordinary people, perfume makers, uh, gold, uh, goldsmiths, ordinary people built this wall, and God did the impossible, all right? God will do the impossible in your life, and you'll see it from time to time, but there's always stuff that precedes it that you don't see with the eye and that isn't as noticeable. And he's preparing you and preparing the ground and preparing everything for the big moment. But there's so much that goes on that precedes it. 